I've mentioned to you before my time playing baseball in high school and college in different places. And one of the things that I always remember is how much of a character my high school baseball coach was and still is. In fact, one of my greatest memories from playing in high school was my senior year right before the district baseball tournament. And postseason, of course, is is a big deal because if you lose, you go home and And so we were preparing to play that first round of the district at our home park. And we were in the batting cages, getting ready, getting loose, taking batting practice before the game, about an hour before the game. And my coach was the kind that not only was he a character, but he was very, very stubborn as well. And so, so he would like, he also liked to work on things. He was a man that worked well with his hands and very, very handy and high. And, uh, and we, we always knew that he was going to be tinkering around with something. And so he had been working on this bus that he had purchased to use for our program that would be our own personal team bus. And it didn't run. And it never ran. He could never get the thing started. He worked and worked and worked. I mean, he'd skip practice to work on this bus. And it was a bigger version of the kind that we have out in the parking lot. And he thought it would be so neat for us to have our own team bus. So we wouldn't have to ride around on the on the Twinkie, you know, on the yellow bus. And so... Finally, that day, an hour before we're about to play in the district tournament to begin the postseason, we hear it fire up. He'd been working on it as we prepare for the most important game of the season. He's over there working on our bus. And he fires it up, and he pulls up next to the batting cage, and he says, all right, boys, y'all get in. We think, where in the world are we going? So he takes us like a tour guide. He's talking on the microphone to us and telling us what's on the right and what's on the left. And here we go, all of us. And the other team's kind of looking at us funny. We load up and take a big loop around the block. And we come back and get off and go play the game. Lo and behold, we win the state championship that year. It's all because he got the bus run. Not really. But but he was a character. And you can imagine sort of that kind of deal. But I tell you, as much as I have those great memories of that, I almost didn't go to school there. I almost chose not to play for him because when I was deciding where it was that I might try to go, and I had a, had a couple of different options there in high school, sort of like we have here. You can go to one or a couple of places. and I almost didn't go because my parents were bombarded with questions from their friends at church. You mean you're considering letting him play for that guy? Do you understand the kind of language he uses? Do you, do you know the, the, the way that we've heard he treats his players? I mean, you're going to let him go be around those kinds of people? You have to understand that I grew up in a church that was a large church, but was but in some ways very legalistic. Legalistic, and I mean by that just following all the rules and sort of making sure that you do everything and dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure and then okay, everybody's good. And a lot of great things about my church, and I love it to this day. And, but that was one of the things that folks just thought, hold on a second, can you do that as a Christian? Can you let him play for that guy? Can you let him be around those people? And I almost didn't go to school there. And I'll tell you, my four years there at Pleasure Ridge Park High School were wonderful. I I loved every minute of playing baseball there. But in that time, I really did get a glimpse of what it's like to be around those people. And as a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you've had those thoughts and you've had those conversations about those people who don't believe the way that you believe and don't act 
the way that you act. And don't talk the way that you talk. I think I got a glimpse during those four years and then the subsequent four years playing baseball at Murray State, a glimpse of how Jesus must have felt when he spent his time around those people, when some of his closest friends and even his followers were those kinds of people. This series we're calling Go is based upon his words, the words of Jesus to his disciples at the end of his time here on earth when he said, go and make disciples. Go and replicate replicate yourselves. Go and produce more of what you are. Go and make disciples. And so our goal through this whole thing has been threefold, to increase our understanding of what's called missional living or life on mission for the Lord, to increase our motivation to make us want to do it more, and to increase our application. Because the truth be told that many people who sit in church from week to week, and I'm not naive enough to think that many people here aren't the same way, we understand what we're to do, and we might even want to, but the truth is sometimes we don't. Sometimes we sort of say, well, I know I should, and I I really do want to, but am I doing it? No. And when it comes to living a life on mission for the Lord, that that really can be, well, yeah, I know know what it is, and I know I should, and I sort of want to, but I'm not sure I am. So our goal has been increase understanding, motivation, application of all that. We're looking at how you can leverage your life, your skills, your interests, your experiences, your history, your position, your vocation, your stage of life, everything about you. How can you leverage those things? How can God use those to be an instrument, a funnel, a conduit of his grace and love toward other people? Because... Jesus, when he left this earth and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and sent his Holy Spirit, gave his mission to us. There is no plan B. (laughs) This is the mission. We are the instruments. And so we have been sent out. How can we then leverage everything about us for the sake of helping other people come to see and understand and know the love of Jesus? Now today, I just want you to know my goal is very simple. I want you to be considering and then to leave with something in your mind, some way, somehow, that you can rub off on those people this week. How can you rub off spiritually on the people in your life that are far from God? How is it that you can simply just rub off on them? I'm not talking about how can you preach a Billy Graham type sermon. I'm not talking about how can you have an altar call and everybody can. I'm not talking about just how can you rub off. Consider that as you work your way through in your own mind through this sermon. How can you, what is God calling you to do to rub off on someone spiritually? That's all I want you to leave with. Is some kind of thing somehow in your mind that you can do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. You'll see the scripture is printed there on your bulletin handout. You can get there, of course, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can look it up there, you can follow along. Uh, If you've got a copy of God's Word, and certainly by all means, I would encourage you to turn there. The scripture will be on the screen as well, some way for you to follow along this morning. Let me give you the context real quick. Here's what's happening. Jesus is gathering those who will be known as his 12 disciples, and we get word from the Gospels that he spent all night in prayer before he began this process. And then he goes out. What's, what's amazing is he spends time in prayer all night with his Heavenly Father and then goes out and selects people that most folks would say have no business being around a respected rabbi, a respected teacher. But the truth is Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He was not just some other great person 
or prophet or teacher. He was the Son of God. He was the one who came to earth as God in human flesh to display for all the world just how different God's plan is from ours. Just how different God's love is from ours. Just how different He sees things. And so Jesus, as we'll see here in Luke chapter 5, wasn't sent to the cream of the crop. In fact, He was sent to the people from the other side of the tracks. And Luke 5 shows us just how difficult that was for some people, especially some very religious people. Just how difficult it was for them to swallow that. Look with me at the scripture. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi becomes Matthew. His name is, is Matthew. He's the one who wrote the gospel of Matthew. Sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, Levi, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, talking about the disciples of Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus went to those people. I mean, the question here from the Pharisees is really, what are you doing around those people? Don't you know who they are? Jesus went to them because he was sent for and sent to those people. You look at who they were. We get the idea that they were a group of folks known as the tax collectors, the publicans. Not the Republicans, but the publicans, the tax collectors. Two different kinds, we get this from Jewish tradition. There were two different kinds of tax collectors, two different groups. One were just your general tax collector who would collect things, what they know, they called like the ground tax, which was one-tenth of all grain and wine and fruit. They would also collect the income tax, which was 1% on all income. They would also collect a poll tax, which was just basically you exist, so pay a tax. Here's your tax for breathing today. Please pay this. That was for men ages 14 to 65 and women ages 12 to 65. They were just the ones, these are the taxes. They go around, okay, you need to pay this. And they collected that and took it back to the tax office. Then you had the people who ran the tax office. These were the folks who would levy taxes on everything that was bought and sold. Everything that was transported, everything that was imported, exported, everything that crossed the bridge, everything that went over the road, all kinds of taxes. In fact, they were really creative. They'd make up taxes. One of the things that these tax office leaders would do is if they saw you traveling, they would make you unpack everything, take everything out of your bags, off of your horse or your donkey, whatever you're traveling on, and then they would tax you based upon what you had and you're traveling with. Imagine the inconvenience that would be. You pack it all back up, and maybe later on you run into somebody else who does it all over again to you. This person was an oppressor of the greatest kind. These kinds of tax collectors, these tax office leaders were hated. And guess which one Levi was? He was that kind. He's one of those people. He was one of the people that didn't just go around because he had to. I'm sorry, but I have to collect these taxes from you. He was the one who made up the taxes for people to pay. And not only that, but he was a Jew working for the Roman government, taxing the Jews. You can imagine how much they hated him. Tax collectors were to be avoided and shunned. They were outcasts. In fact, they were less than human in the eyes of many Pharisees 
They were disliked because they collaborated with the, the hated Roman government. Those people included tax collectors. The Pharisees also tell us that those people included the general class known as sinners. People who didn't follow the Jewish law. People that obviously cared nothing for God or His law or His holiness. They did what they wanted to do. They weren't ritually clean. They didn't cleanse themselves, wash their hands at the right time. They didn't eat the right foods and avoid the wrong foods. They didn't follow the sacrificial laws. They didn't do the right thing at the temple and the synagogue. and all. They didn't do any of that stuff. But what I love about the Gospel of Luke, and if you were to read it from start to finish, you'd realize that the Gospel of Luke is written all about what you might call a great reversal. You realize that when Jesus was born, we'll look at this in a few weeks, you know who the news first came to? Shepherds. Who were shepherds? They were pretty much nobodies. You realize that the, the genealogy of Jesus includes Mary, his mother, not just Joseph, his earthly father, in the book of Luke. You realize that Luke focuses on the poor and the down and out and even the tax collectors and sinners. This great reversal. So if there is hope for Levi, then there's hope for you and me. If the outcasts of society have some role to play in God's mission, then so do we. And if Jesus was pleased, understand it was not a chore, he was pleased to be known as the friend of sinners. If he was pleased to be known that way, and we're to follow his example, I wonder what it should say to us about our mission and our ministry here on earth. That's who he went to. Why did he go to them? Well, he went because they were in need of a Savior. They truly needed what he had to offer. They knew also that they needed a Savior. They were willing to admit their need, and they were receptive to his message. Jesus went to them, and the truth is, we've got a choice to make this morning. Because you're around those people. You might live with those people. You work with those people. You've got a choice to make based upon the example of Jesus regarding those people. Three different options this morning. Three different stances that you can take. You see it there on your handout. Now we're going to work from left to right down to the center. You ready for this? You guys got that? Okay. So it's going to go from, from here to here to here. I don't want to throw you off. Because it's not going to look the same way on the screen as it looks on your handout. Just saying. Some of you, all right, just making sure. You get a little frustrated this morning. So here we go. Three different options, three different stances you can take. Regarding those people, first of all, you can be quarantined. You see the circle? Isn't that great? It's like a wall. Some of you don't appreciate this. Look again at your handout. This is really good stuff. See, it looks like a wall you've built. You can be quarantined. Loosen up, will you? <clears throat> Goodness. Thank you. That's good. <clears throat> People on the front row paying attention. I like it. <clears throat> front rowish. <laughs> Frontish. <clears throat> anyway, quarantined. You can be quarantined. The, the Pharisees meant they were, they're, they're, the actual word means separated ones. They, they were the ones who considered themselves to be extremely holy. And so by their very name, it implied that they excluded sinners. People who didn't follow what God said. 
the, the Pharisaical teaching was that you were to separate yourself from, from any moral or ritual impurity, anything that could be in question. I don't know about that. Let me make sure that I avoid that at all costs. The truth is that sometimes we're just like that. Now, we understand that we are to be sure to take a stand against certain things. No question. You know, it's like the, the, the guy who went to church one day and preacher preached and he gets home and his wife says, well, what did he, what'd he preach on? Sin. What did he say about it? He's against it. You've heard that. We, we understand there are certain things that we need to make sure, look, this is not God's God's standard. This is not holiness. We understand that. But the truth be told, sometimes we're certainly known more for what we're against and what we rail against, what we don't do. You know, it's that old thing, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't date girls that do. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the way that it goes. Fellas, there's good advice for you. You know, it, it's we're known as the goody two-shoes. You know, you don't drink, you don't smoke, what do you do? You know, that's the old song. And so we, we avoid, we, we separate ourselves, we quarantine, we build a wall around ourselves so that we don't have to be touched by these things. You know, we do it out of fear. We do it maybe out of fear that those things are going to have some effect on us, or maybe even more so in some of our lives, we do so because we don't want to be accused of any of those things. We understand the Scripture says, let there not even be a hint, no appearance and in that verse it says sexual immorality. We don't want even a hint of sin in our lives. And so we avoid everything that might get us accused of that. We quarantine ourselves, sort of like those folks were quarantined as they come back from, from Africa after working with Ebola patients. You know, we put them in quarantine for three weeks, the incubation period. And so we, we build this wall around ourselves. The Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, they said, why do, you, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know who they are? I mean, eating with somebody during that time was a, was a sign of acceptance, was a sign of friendship. It wasn't just business lunches that they had together. You go to somebody's house, you eat with them during that society, and you're showing friendship. And I said, hold, hold on just a second. How could somebody who claims to be a man of God associate with people like that? You're to be quarantined. We do this simply by avoidance. The Pharisees, by the way, weren't at the reception that was offered in Jesus' honor. They might have been standing outside so as not to be stained with all that was going on at that particular banquet. Or they might have gotten word later on and they come up saying, hold on, what are you doing? The Pharisees avoided sinners completely so they could avoid any suggestion that they endorsed or approved of that particular lifestyle. The truth is that many of us have fallen into that trap one way or another. We remove ourselves from where those people are. We live in a Christian bubble. We just say, boy, if everything could happen at church, I just want my life filled with church activity so that everything will be fine and I'll be safe. And I won't have to deal with that. I know what that's like in that mentality. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They believed that in order to be holy, you had to be quarantined. Let nothing touch you. Don't get out there at all. Make sure to build a really strong wall around yourself or else you, you, you might be accused of something. You might fall into something. The truth is you can be quarantined. And many of us today, if you look around at your life and you say, you know, if I'm honest, 
to kind of quarantine myself against the world. I, I want to, to make sure that I honor God. It comes often from a good heart. But if I'm truthful with you today, I know that I've just built a wall. I'm quarantined. I'm making sure that nothing touches me. I don't get out there with anybody. I don't have any friends that aren't at church. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. And we fear being infected because that's the second thing that can happen to you. Regarding those people, you can be quarantined or you can be maybe infected. And that's the great fear. That's what we tell our children. That's what we tell our grandchildren. Don't, don't, don't get around those people because they'll rub off on you. Bad company corrupts good morals, we tell them. We know the scriptures about those things. But I wonder sometimes if we take it too far. Jesus is accused here of being around these tax collectors and sinners. What are you doing, they say. They, they thought maybe he's the opposite of being quarantined. And the truth is that some of us fall prey to that. We know the stories. Well, they grew up in church and made a profession of faith in Jesus as a young child, but they started running with the wrong crowd. They got into all that stuff. And now they claim that they don't even believe in Jesus at all. They don't want anything to do with Him. And We blame it on the crowd. And in some cases, that's exactly what happened. They were infected. Maybe they decided if you can't beat them, join them. Look, it's more fun on the other side. Some maybe just simply blend in, ignoring God's command to be holy, even as we live among unholy people and behavior, we ignore God's command. Some of us this morning have gotten ourselves infected because we've given in not to being around those people, but we've given in to their mindset and what they do in this world system. But when you look at Jesus, you'll notice that he was not quarantined. And you'll notice he was not infected. He was never, he never became like the people that he was sent to reach. Do you, you want to know, is it possible to be around those people and not infected by their sin? Look at Jesus. Look at your Savior. It is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit not to give in to those things. The truth is, we've got to separate ourselves from sinful behavior, but not from sinful people. Jesus was constantly around sinful people to the point that they accused Him of being involved with what they were doing. Why do you, why do you eat with those people? I guess you're one of them. That's what the implication is. But He wasn't ever condoning their sinful actions. He's loving them to repentance. Because he wasn't associating with them simply for the fact of associating. He always, whether he said it or simply lived it in front of them, he challenged them to change their ways. He showed them a difference. There are certainly those sad examples of Christians who have been infected by the people around them. That doesn't have to be inevitable. Jesus avoided being infected because he was constantly spending time in the presence of his heavenly Father. You want to help your children? You want to help your grandchildren? You want to make sure that you yourself are not infected, drawn away, dragged away by the sin of this world? Start by spending time with God each and every day. There's nothing better that you can do that you can teach for your children, your grandchildren, you can do for yourself than to begin each day and spend each day in the presence of your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus did. He also he internalized the Scripture. 
Uh, we, we learn in Psalm 119, we learn a couple of, of very key things. Uh, you, maybe you have influence in the life of a young person. I want you to remember something. Psalm 119 verse 9 says it this way. How, how can a young man, how can a young person keep his or her way pure? How can you make sure that as you live in this world, you don't become infected by this world? And the verse finishes the question. It says, by keeping your word. It goes on two verses later. And the psalmist says to the Lord, I have hidden your word in my heart. I've treasured it. A different version says, I've treasured hidden your word in my heart. Not so I can get gold stars in Sunday school for how many verses I memorize. You ever get those? I was a champ. Until all the girls got smart and passed me. Oh, it was awful. Not so we can get gold stars. But the verse says, so that I may not sin against you. Jesus knew the scripture. Do you know in Matthew chapter 4 when he's tempted by Satan, do you know what he responds with every single time? Scripture. He fights his battle with scripture. Jesus put his spiritual disciplines into practice. He didn't just check them off a box. Well, I've spent my 15 minutes with God today, so I guess I need to go to work now. God will catch you again tomorrow morning. God, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Man, all right, I've got it. I'm checking it off my phone and all that. Look at all the days I've got completed on my Bible reading plan. Lord, I'll see you in the morning. It's not the way Jesus operated. His spiritual disciplines were lived out in his life. When he was tempted, as I said, he used Scripture as his defense and as his weapon. He prayed continually. It was never just a thing to check off his list. He also relied every moment of every day on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, at his baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit for the ministry that God had given him. And he never did anything from that point on apart from the anointing and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Becoming infected by those people is not, hear me, is not the inevitable consequence of being around them. It's not. We've sold ourselves lies when it comes to this as Christians. We need to, to stop living under that lie and, and under constant fear. We need to follow the example of Jesus to live our lives continually in His presence, to pray in every situation, to fill our minds and our hearts with His truth. We need to raise our children to know that being quarantined is not the answer. To know that... They can remain uninfected by the ways of the world. They can operate as Jesus did. I really believe that as I look back at some of what I experienced in church as a child, that it's probably true of many that too often what we've given our children, what we've grown up with, many of you would say this about yourselves, is we've, we've developed a fearful version of Christianity. One in which... We're just scared to touch the world. Don't get around me. Or maybe we've developed an infected version. And we look around at our lives and we say, you know, the foundation of my life really isn't much different than that of other people. I simply go to church, claim some faith in Jesus. I'm really not that different. There's a better way than those two. Jesus showed us that regarding those people, you can be quarantined, you can be infected, or you can be contagious. That was the way of Jesus. Verse 27, look at it. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. 
I mean, imagine what's going through the mind of Jesus at this point. How different does he see people from the way that we see them? When he looked at someone, he didn't see his appearance. He didn't see even his external behaviors. He saw a heart that needed a Savior. How is it that you and I see people? I mean, do we see them only based upon what they look like and what they do? Or do we see past all of that and look inside of them and say, there is something going on inside of them that is crying out, whether they are doing it explicitly or not, crying out for a Savior. Do we see people that way? It may be this week that you just simply walk around and you'd pay attention and you'd begin to say, Lord, help me to see this person, see those people the way that you see them. Their behaviors offend you. Their language is abusive. It's awful to be around them. But maybe you'd say, Lord, would you help me to see them the way that you do? Lord, don't let me see their appearance. Don't let me see even their actions. But God, let me see who they really are and what they're really in need of. He goes on. He says to to Levi sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't wait for Levi to clean himself up before he spoke to him. He didn't wait for him to, to change all of his friends and all of his behavior. He, he took the initiative and he spoke to him. I wonder, what is it that we say to or we say about those people? Those who claim to know the love and grace of Jesus, are we extending that love and grace in what we say to and what we say about the sinners in our lives? Verse 29 Levi is hosting this grand banquet. He's left everything to follow Jesus. And it says at the end of verse 29, Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. Jesus here taking a posture of friendliness. Shocking, really. The Pharisees were floored. He was supposed to avoid them. Certainly not go be friends with them. Certainly not be around them any more than you absolutely have to, only because that's who you work next to during the day. I mean, other than that, get away. Certainly no more than that. Jesus, though, took a friendly stance. Isn't that amazing? He ate with them. The same kind of posture, that reclining posture, that he took later with his disciples at the Last Supper. Same thing. One, we say, well, yeah, that makes sense. The other, we say... He did the same for these people. I wonder, are we willing to maybe take a friendly stance? Not one of condoning behavior. Understand the difference. But a friendly, Jesus-oriented stance toward those kinds of people. And then they question him. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them in verse 31 and 32, The healthy don't need a doctor. That's why. But the sick do. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You almost hear the indignation in his tone. You guys don't get it. You don't understand. I'm not here just to be quarantined around all the healthy people. I'm here to get involved with the lives of those who are sick spiritually and need to be healed. Jesus was on a mission for the outsider, for the irreligious, for the social outcast, not for those people who believed they already had God, the God market cornered. 
Jesus' business was with sinners. I, I wonder, do we love those people like He does? He knew that the infection of sin in their life could not be helped without the true healer, so He went to them. And if we imitate Him, we're not going to hesitate then to be around, even to eat with, to associate with, to be friendly toward those people who are desperate for Him. Regarding those people, you can be quarantined, you can be infected, or you can be contagious. And it's not hard to guess which one Jesus was. We're called to go to those people because Jesus went to those people. We follow His example. Because they need Jesus. And hear me on this. We go to those people because we are those people. We are those people. You are. I am those people. Because apart from the grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus Christ, I am that person. You are that person. We are those people. We go to those people because Jesus has come to us with His grace. And I've mentioned to you before that those who have received the grace of God, we have no excuse for being graceless people. We go because we are those people. We're desperate for Jesus. We know that apart from His death and resurrection, we have no forgiveness of sin. We stand condemned before God and we have no hope of eternal life. This week, I wonder, maybe you'd ask yourself a few questions. And just pay attention. This isn't a message of guilt and shame. This is a message, hopefully, of eye-opening. Lord, make me pay attention. Maybe this week you just say, Lord, who is it that, that I avoid that you would hang out with? Who is it? You know, I mean, they're, they're, you know who they are. You already got them on your mind. Who is it, Lord, that... that I'm avoiding that you would probably take a step toward. And maybe this week you'd say, Lord, how, what can I do? What's the first step for me to take in order to rub off on those people? To be spiritually contagious. To have a contagious holiness. Maybe for some it's simply just to walk across the room and say hello. Or to have a meal or coffee with somebody. Or to begin a conversation. Or simply to smile. <laughs> or to say a kind word or offer to help maybe this week you do something that gets you out of quarantine that proves to you that you don't have to be infected by what they're doing and starts you toward a contagious holiness you've got a little card there in your bulletin and I want to give us an opportunity to respond in a very specific way this morning I told you my goal was for you to have something on your mind that you can leave here with and begin the process of being contagious by rubbing off on somebody's spiritual. Just begin the process. The little card there, it's a, it says go there, of course, in the background. And it says pray for me. I'm, And then you're going to fill in the blank. Now, I'm going to give you the option. You can let me have this at the end of the service. and I'll put them up on the board and pray for them this week. We don't have handwriting experts here, so we're not going to go forensics on you and try to see which one you are. 
where you can keep that and begin to work through it with the Lord this week. Whatever, whatever you choose. But your three options. Pray for me. I'm quarantined. And I don't want to admit it, but I don't want anything to do with the world. I don't want anything to do with those people. I'm tired of them. They offend me. I'm sick of what they do, and I'm done with it. And I'm quarantining myself because I, I don't want to have to deal with it anymore. Or maybe you say, I'm quarantined, but I'm just, I'm, it's not because I'm angry. I'm just scared. I, I, you know, I, I'm fearful because I don't want to be involved. I don't want it to look like I'm condoning those things. I don't want to become infected by all of that. I'm kind of scared. Maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm quarantined. Or maybe secondly, you'd say, pray for me because I'm infected. There's sin in my life that I know I need to repent of. And I need God's forgiveness because I've not been quarantined. I've just kind of jumped in with both feet and I'm just kind of doing what everybody else does. And there's, there's no difference in the foundation of my life than what everybody else has. Even though I come to church and claim faith in Jesus, you might say, would you pray for me because I, I, I'm infected. I've got sin in my life that I know God needs to remove. Maybe thirdly, you'd say, pray for me. I'm contagious. Now you may say, well, that's kind of arrogant. No, I don't think so. You may say, look, I am doing my very best right now by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to have contagious holiness, to live on mission for the Lord. And I need you to pray for me. Why? Because it's not easy. Because you're going to face certain things that will make you want to be quarantined or tempt you to be infected. And you'd say, look, would you pray for me? Because I, I'm contagious. I'm not perfect. Don't, don't, that's not what we're talking about. But I am living out there in the world in such a way that I, I'm trying to let God use my life. I'm, I'm being contagious, but pray for me. I'd like for you to take the opportunity to write down which one it is. I'm quarantined. I'm infected. I'm contagious. Pray for me. And like I said, I can collect these at the end. I'll be back there. You can place them up here. And I'll pray for you. We'll put them up there so we can all kind of have a visual reminder to pray for one another this week. But I wonder, would you admit which one you are to the Lord? And respond accordingly today to say, Lord, I'm quarantined, so get me out of it. God, I'm infected. I need your forgiveness. Lord, Lord, I'm, I, I'm trying to be contagious, so God, give me courage. Which one would you write down this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I The card says, pray for me. So that's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to, out of respect to others, simply keep your head bowed and... No one will know I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand or make a speech. But if you would be willing to admit, you say, pray for me, I'm quarantined. I'm either angry or I'm scared and just walled myself off. Would you pray for me to make me more like Jesus? If that's you, all I'd like for you to do is just make eye contact and you can put your eyes right back down. And I'll pray for you.
Lord, I lift up the folks this morning who are quarantined out of anger or fear or some other emotion. Lord, would you help us? Lord, you overcame all of that, so we know that it's possible. God, help us to live on mission for you. Lord, we we give you our fear. We give you our anger. We, we give you all of those issues that are keeping us inside that little wall. Help us this week to take one step, Lord, toward getting out of quarantine. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Guide us by your word. Help us, Lord, to remain uninfected as we live contagiously. There are others here who you might admit, I'm infected. And let me just tell you, I'm not your priest. You don't confess to me. You confess to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Him alone. But I want to partner with you and pray for you. I'm not looking for dirt. Not looking for any of that. But you might say, look, I'm really struggling. Whatever it is, whatever sin, sin of pride, whatever it might be, lots of different things that you say, I'm infected. I'm not in quarantine. I've, I've let myself slip in these areas. And there's no foundation for me that's different from the world. Would you pray for me? As tough as it might be, would you... Be willing to say, I'll make eye contact with you. I'll admit that. Lord, I lift up these folks, precious people, who are bold enough to admit, God, I'm infected. Lord, your promise is that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you promised that your blood could wash away any stain that we have in our lives. And so, Lord, this morning, I don't go on behalf of people to ask for their forgiveness. Lord, I simply say thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I pray for the folks who are infected that, Lord, they would truly trust that it is enough to confess and to receive your grace. Lord, help them to know that there's nothing that they do or can do that can make up for whatever sin, infection is in their life. But simply through confession, receiving your grace, Lord, they can be made new. Maybe you'd say this morning, finally, Pray for me because I, I'm I'm not quarantined and I, I'm, I'm not aware of any particular sin that's just dominating my life. I'm confessing all of that, but I, I'm trying to be contagious. Would you pray for me? I, maybe you don't even know where to start and you just, I just, please pray for me. Maybe that's you. And you'd lift your eyes and you'd put them back down. Lord, I lift up the folks this morning whose, whose desire is to be contagiously holy. We pray for your protection against the infection of sin. We pray for your protection against that temptation of quarantine. We pray that you would make them extremely dangerous on behalf of the kingdom of God. That you would anoint them, that you would go before them and on either side and in the rear. Protect them, lead them, and guide them, Lord. I pray that you give them favor with the people that they're around on a daily basis. Give them encouragement when it seems no one else 
is being contagious. Lord, make us a contagious church. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.